Welcome to the weekly sermons and studies podcast at First Baptist. Today's speaker is our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Reynolds. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we're so thankful for that empty tomb and for the victory it proclaims that you, Jesus, could not be held captive by death, that you have arisen victoriously and you welcome all people to come to you by faith, repenting of sin and placing all of our trust in you, and you welcome us into the victory that you have won forevermore. And so, Lord, with that understanding, we come now to your word that we believe is holy and inerrant, and we pray that through it, Lord, you would speak to us, that by your Holy Spirit, you would take your holy word and put it in us right where it needs to be, for, Lord, you know where each of us is right now. So we ask that you would speak to our hearts. Transform us by the renewing of our minds so that when we leave this room, when we leave this experience, we leave different, more like Jesus, for it's in his precious and holy name that we pray, amen. It's funny how moments that shape your life can sneak up on you sometimes. I went to a cookout one time, and what happened to me at that cookout absolutely reshaped my thoughts about my relationship with Almighty God. I wasn't expecting that to happen, but it did. There in an old pole barn, sitting next to a man who was many years my senior, and we just got to talking. He started telling me about the days when he used to play in a band in honky-tonks and bars all over the Midwest and the Southeast. And he was a big guy, but he said that some of the places they played even made him nervous. There were the kind of places where they would put chicken wire across the stage to protect the band from what might be thrown at them. I mean, he's living a reality that I've only seen on TV or in movies. But he was telling me about some of their exploits, some of their stories, some of the things that happened to them. They played all kinds of music. They played country and western. That was probably what they specialized in the most. But they also played some rock and roll, and then they would even go back to the 40s and 50s and bring some of those great classics forward, just depending on the audience they had that night. But they would also lean into some gospel music every now and again. And as he talked about the gospel music, that's when he came to the song that for him had become his favorite to play. It was a song written by Colbert and Joyce Croft entitled, I Can't Even Walk Without You Holding My Hand. I'd never heard it. So there, in a voice that had long ago lost its luster, a gravelly-voiced old man sang the song to me and started out like this. I thought that number one would surely be me. I thought I would be what I wanted to be. I thought I could build on life's sinking sand, but I can't even walk without you holding my hand. I thought that I could do a lot on my own. I thought that I could make it all alone. I thought of myself as a mighty big man, but I can't even walk without you holding my hand. I can't even walk without you holding my hand. The mountain is too high, the valley is too wide. Down on my knees, I learned to stand because I can't even walk without you holding my hand. He sang that song and looked at me, his eyes now moistened with tears, and he just said, do you know why I love that song? 
My eyes were moistened with tears, too. I said, tell me why. He said, that's my story. He said, I always thought of myself as a mighty big man, and he was a big man indeed, one of the biggest I've ever known personally. <laughs> but he said, throughout my life, as I've tried to do it my way, tried to go the way I felt like I needed to go, I've learned a valuable lesson. It's a lesson my parents taught me when they taught me a song many years ago called Jesus Loves Me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And the lesson is this, I am weak and he is strong. So I used to think of myself as a mighty big man, but I've come to learn the hard way that I can't even walk without him holding my hand. That moment at a cookout in an old pole barn changed my life because all of a sudden somebody that I had grown to admire and somebody that I looked up to and somebody that I thought of was if there was a, more, a, a, a contemporary equivalent to John Wayne he was it and he was humbling himself to say no I need the Lord more than I ever thought I did he passed away not too long after that and we played that song at his funeral it was one of the most beautiful moments that I've gotten to be a part of. You know, the same is true for all of us. No matter how big of a person we think we are, we need the Lord for everything. And today we're going to talk about prayer because I'm going to tell you that is how you reach up to take hold of his hand that is extended toward you. So I want to invite you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 6 through 11. If you're in the Red Pew Bible here in the room, that is page 1017, page 1017. But I want to give you this theme this morning. My faith will grow as I pray day by day. My faith will grow as I pray day by day. Now, I have to tell you, we're going to read this entire little paragraph. There's not a lot to it, but there's so much there. So there's no way that I'm going to cover all my notes. So if you want part two, a deeper look, come to Vespers tonight. But here now as Peter has written these words as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning with verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We're going to walk one verse at a time through this passage and let God speak to us through it. So here again, verse 6, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Our first point today, pray because God calls you to come to him. Pray because God calls you to come to him. You know, Jesus said, as recorded in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Are any of you weary and heavy laden? Boy, I get weary and heavy laden. 
And the character of our God and his attitude toward all of us is that his arms are open and he says, come on, what are you waiting for? Keep striving if you want to, but I can offer you rest. Keep trying to make it happen if you want to, but you can rest in me. God calls us to come to him through Jesus Christ our Lord, who is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way by which we can come to God, but through Christ, God calls all people to come to himself. Carol Ironman, who... Um, is really kind of directs our prayer ministry here, and uh, she's a teacher for our Faith and Fidelis Sunday School class, says that prayer is the absolute awareness of the presence of the God who spoke this universe into existence, of enjoying an ongoing conversation with Him 24-7, of knowing beyond the shadow of a doubt that we dwell in the shelter of the Most High and rest secure in the shadow of the Almighty. Prayer strengthens my faith and hope. Prayer is the Christian's privilege of touching the very heart of the living God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In prayer, I am in the presence of God as I lay before Him my complete self in total transparency and trust in the assurance that I am completely and unconditionally loved to the deepest part of my being as I admit my needs and failures and intercede for others. In talking with God and listening to His voice, my heart becomes quiet, and I experience the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding. James 4.8 says, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. How utterly amazing and humbling to have God draw near to me. Amen. That God would allow us to come to Him should be the most humbling thought any of us could ever imagine. Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he might exalt you. And a natural response to the fact that God would welcome us to himself is to be humbled. To say, Lord, I, I don't deserve this, but you give me this opportunity. You know, I pray that we would never take prayer for granted. It's easy to do. We get used to things, right? Right? We get used to the fact that we can talk to Almighty God at any time we want. And so sometimes we take prayer for granted, but recognize that we come boldly to the throne of God's grace through the blood of Jesus Christ our Lord who died and rose again so that we might be in relationship with Almighty God. It's humbling. So God calls us to humble ourselves because God calls us to come to Him. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. And i got to tell you, I've tried to lift myself up a lot. Haven't you? They joke about the solas of the Reformation. You know, sola, sola scriptura, sola fide, sola Christus, uh, sola gratia, sola, soli deo gloria, the solas of the Reformation. And they say that sometimes we get into a false sola, and that is called sola bootstrappa. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and come to God. But that's not how it works, is it? No, we cry out to God in our utter need and dependence upon Him because apart from Him, we can do nothing. And I didn't make that up. I didn't get that from some sort of theology textbook. That came from John chapter 15. Apart from me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. But Philippians 4 tells us that 
we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So we come. We come to him because he lets us, and we come humbly because he's God and we're not. Verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Our second point, pray because God cares for you. Pray because God cares for you. Pat McCubbin. How many of you remember Pat McCubbin? She used to sit right up here. She wasn't a back row Baptist. She was a third row Baptist every week. If she could get here, she was sitting right up here. And after the service, no matter what happened, she would come and she would encourage me and she would tell me, do you know what my favorite passage of Scripture is? I said, yes, ma'am, but tell me again. And she would recite Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, where the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Philippi, saying, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I loved to have her remind me of that passage every single week because I needed to be reminded of that passage every single week. In fact, there are days when I need to be reminded of that passage every day, that God welcomes me to come to him. But not only that, he says, cast your anxieties on me. Do you know that they've done studies and mental health crises are on the rise? Mental health struggles are on the rise. I'm thankful that we have a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore who meets us in a very timely place. That when we struggle with our anxieties, and we all have them, we get to take them to him. He doesn't say, come to me and leave your struggles away. I don't want to deal with that. He says, bring it to me. Why are you trying to shoulder a load by yourself that you were not built to handle? Bring your anxieties to me. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Literally, that that, that word in the Hebrew, be still, means to let your hands hang down. Maestro, it reminds me, at the end of a show, at the end of a performance, you're not doing this anymore. Ricky, at the end of a service, you're not doing this anymore. Just relax. Why? Because he's God and you're not. He's in charge and you're not. He's able and you're not. Be still. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't ever do anything. That doesn't mean that we don't use the gifts and talents and abilities and resources that God has entrusted to our care and our stewardship. It doesn't mean we don't do that, but it means that there are times when the frenzy of your thoughts becomes such that you have to just stop. Be still and know that He is God and you are not. A mentor of mine that I never got to meet because he died a quarter century before I was born. His name was Dawson Trotman, and I did a lot of studying of Dawson Trotman. He founded a ministry called The Navigators. But he said in 
a piece called The Immutability of God. He said, just relax. Don't try to cook up for yourself a good deal. Don't do anything to get something for yourself. You let God do that. Don't try to maneuver. Don't use flattery. Don't do anything to attempt to get an edge, or you've had the course. Let the Lord do all the giving of the prophet. Why? The eternal God is watching over you. He has your future at heart. Remember, he's the one who said to those who were in exile, I have plans for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. He cares for you. Verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Our third point today is this, pray because you have an enemy. Pray because you have an enemy. You do. He prowls around like a roaring lion. We used to joke in Campus Crusade for Christ that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, and Satan hates you and has a terrible plan for your life. Which one are you going to pick? He does. The Bible says in John 10, these are the words of Jesus, that Jesus has come, that we might have life that is abundant and full, and that the thief, the enemy, Satan, our adversary, has come to do nothing but to steal and kill and destroy. Throughout the biblical narrative, you see him tempting. The temptation never looks bad at the outset, but it never ends well. He tries to hide the ending, and he says, follow my way. I'll get you glory now. I'll keep you out of the pain now. I'll take care of you now. And the problem is now always goes away a lot quicker than we thought it would. And we're left with the consequence of that sin, chief among them being that we're separated from God. Rick Mader, who is deeply involved in our church in a lot of ways and has been for a lot of years, said that Satan is in every part of our lives. He influences our thoughts, put people in our path, creates small and large crises in our lives for the purpose of taking our attention from God. Being in prayerful conversation with God helps keep me focused on God's direction in my life. I get off course many times, but keeping in contact with God brings me back to the proper path. Praying lets me lay out all of my troubles and fears so that God can take control. I feel comfort when I ask God to bless my family, my friends, those in need, and those who are lost. And I agree with Rick. Every day brings obstacles, doesn't it? Every day brings temptations. The enemy is after us. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And if it's you, he's glad for it to be you. But it doesn't have to be you. It doesn't have to be me. We can go to the Lord in prayer. We pray because we have an enemy. Verse 9, resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Our fourth point, pray because you are not in this alone. Pray because you are not in this alone. Now, there's two sides to this. There's the recognition and the encouragement that you're not in this alone. We talked about the importance of Christian community last week. That's vitally important that you're a part of a church family, a small group family, Bible study or Sunday school family. It's it matters. Okay, but, but there's the other side of this recognition that we're not in this alone, that sometimes the enemy seeks to convince us that nobody has it as bad as we do. Nobody struggles like we do. Well, can I help you? Everybody struggles. Everybody. Everybody has something. 
told you I've spent some time in the emergency room lately. And when you're in the emergency room as a patient, you believe that all the resources of that hospital ought to be concentrated on your care because you're in the emergency room after all and you ought to take care of me. But then you walk out into the hallway and you see there's a whole lot of other people who are struggling, some worse than you, and maybe you can wait just a minute because you're not in this alone. We need each other to pray for each other, to encourage each other, to lift one another up. we got a brotherhood all around the globe, and there are people who are facing persecution right now. We're meeting freely, and we're broadcasting this on TV. <laughs> we have brothers and sisters around the globe who are meeting in caves, in secret places in homes so that the government doesn't find them. That's happening right now. So do we deal with persecution here? We deal with harassment sometimes. There are people in this room who know what persecution looks like. We've got to pray for each other. Clint Cobb, who's our chair-elect of the deacons, said the word vital is defined as absolutely necessary or important, essential. Prayer is vital. He said, in my opinion, the need for prayer is no different than our need for oxygen. Without it, we don't live. A charge to myself is always to follow through with my prayers. It's easy for us as God's people to tell someone we're going to pray for them. I say it all the time. But I also want never to let that just be a saying. If I say I'm going to pray for you, I want you to know that I'm praying for you. I also strive to use prayer in the good times just as much or more than in the bad times. It's easy, especially when things are hard, to, to go to God when I'm struggling. But what about when it's over? What about when I didn't get something I thought I wanted? What about when I receive a blessing? I could go on and on with the importance and need of prayer in our lives, but, but I believe it can all be summed up as I expressed in the beginning. Prayer is vital. Verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Our fifth point, pray because you have everlasting hope. Pray because you have everlasting hope. Let me tell you something. Every one of us will struggle. Every one of us will suffer. That's a condition of living in a sin-fallen world. But if you are in Jesus Christ, struggle and suffering do not have the last word in your life. For the Bible declares in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, that there, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed in us. And even the things that we do have to navigate, Romans 8, 28 reminds us that God is actively working them together for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. No, suffering doesn't have the final words in the lives of Jesus' followers. Life, glory, joy, love, peace, the very presence of Almighty God. I was part of two funerals yesterday, one here and the other at Hillview Heights Church. Both men had lived well into their 90s. Both men deeply trusted Jesus and followed him wherever he led. Both men are in glory today. And here's what I know about both of these men. Sandra, I see you. Both of these men, I promise you, are in the process of seeing those who saw the light of Christ through them. And I bet they're hearing thank you. What a legacy. 
What a life. Suffering doesn't have the final word for you in Jesus Christ. No, he does. Vicki Donaldson, who's our Minister of Childhood Development, speaks of her university pastor who taught her the grace of God means everything, to pray, and that even though God sometimes doesn't answer our prayers the way we want Him to, that He is always faithful. And one day, we will look back and say, okay, Lord, I see what you were doing. Thank you. Verse 11, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Our last point, pray, because God is Lord over all. Pray, because God is Lord over all. I want to tell you that God is currently actively working in your life in ways that you cannot now perceive. That's true for all of us. You know, God knows the number of the hairs on our head. I bet you don't know that information about yourself. He knows you more intimately than you know yourself, and he is actively, currently working on your behalf in ways you cannot know, working things, that even awful things, together for good. It doesn't mean that things are good, but it means that God is able to work them together for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Trust him. Trust him. Talk to him. The Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. At the bottom of your notes, I wrote Jeremiah 32, 27. It is God speaking. He says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Well, of course, the answer is no. So if that's true, then why wouldn't we take everything to him? He calls us to do that. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. We'd love to connect with you. Just email connect at firstbaptistbg.org or call 270-842-0331.